podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Do you know, how did that end up becoming the shirt emblem, the shirt badge? I, I suspect it's just because it's located in Everton and it's seen as sort of emblematic of the area. It doesn't speak wildly yeah, well of the area when the, <laughs> your area is predominantly defined by a drunk tank, but I think it's suitable. <laughs> at the end of the day, football, it's a funny old game, comedians talking about football, comedians talking about football, comedians talking about football. Hello, welcome to episode 11 of Comedians Talking About Football. I'm Sam Michael with you as always, and this is the third episode of the second series. If you haven't listened to this series so far, go back. We've got a couple of great episodes, including Joseph Parsons and Mark Olver. Our guest today, though, is Sam White, and she's talking about Everton. And this is the perfect time to drop this episode. Um, If you're listening to this in the far future, I just want to let you know that we are putting this episode out the week after... Everton have beaten Liverpool, the reigning champions of the Premier League. They've beaten them 2-0 in the Merseyside derby. So I couldn't ask for a better result last weekend with this episode going out. Sam White is a comedian and many of you probably know her from her brilliant online presence. Um, I found her through Twitter, as I'm sure many of you did. And you can follow her on there at Sam White. Uh, This is a really good episode and I really appreciate Sam coming on. Oh, actually, I should just add that uh, this was recorded right at the beginning of the season when both Everton and Reading were top of the table. So um, excuse my optimism when recording this. Anyway, without further ado, this is Sam White on Comedians Talking About Football and she's talking about Everton FC. Well, first of all, Sam, uh, we share the same name, but that's not all we share. We both support teams that are currently, as we record this, we both support teams that are top of the league. Oh, wow. So, Reading are... Reading are top. That's amazing. You're big time. Yeah, I said that to my friend earlier, and he went, wow, you're top of League One. I was like, no, hang on a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, top of the championship. <laughs> he was like, I don't think so, mate. I think you're supporting the wrong team. No, they are top of the championship, and Everton are currently... Top of the Premier League. (laughs) (laughs) It's Um, really weird. You've got me at a time when Everton are good. It's like, you know, it's like recording when Hayley's Comet's going past. It's not, this is not something I'm necessarily used to. It's quite something, really. I mean, I think Everton were one of those teams who, I think, after Moyes left, they had a bit of a struggle. They seemed to go, like, shoot for quite big things. They got some really good players, and sometimes it didn't quite pay off. But this does seem like the change is coming I mean I I personally was surprised how people were a little bit and I mean obviously not Everton fans I'm sure but a lot of people when Jay Rodriguez came a lot of people were like oh you know he was all right in 2014 I'm like no just Jay Rodriguez he's gonna be quality the Richard Keys blog was fantastic I don't know if you've seen that no oh it was magnificent because I mean um, for a man so perennially wrong as well and for such a sort of dinosaur basket case. He, um, his assertion was that uh, if James Rodriguez was any good, he wouldn't be coming to Everton. So we should actually put in a bid for Troy Deeney. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually serious. Oh, I love man. it, man. How has he still got a career with anything to do with football? I mean, that dinosaur, we all know why he left Sky, but wow. It's almost 
uh, comforting that he's got this job in the Middle East because he's sort of, he's exiled, but he's a reminder of what broadcasts, you know, uh, broadcast journalism used to be like with yeah. football. But it used to be loads of little Richard Keyses and uh, it, it, it's almost a relief he's, he's still there just to remind us how far we've come. Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, wow, <laughs> Troy Deeney. I mean, no, <laughs> that's Troy Deeney, great guy. I, I really love him, rate him as a footballer, but just Jay Rodriguez, do you know what I mean? And, and, <laughs> and there's, there's some quite, I think Decore was a, was a great signing as well. Um, Decore looks good. And Alan? even looks fantastic yeah i, I mean, think that like a holding role is often overlooked because it's it, it's hard work without glory isn't it mm. but it's kind of a fulcrum and if you've honestly our midfield was so toothless until recently it's mm. just we had teams strolling through us so if you've got an allen and a decore uh and a james rodriguez then um then you can Really, you can really play forward, play really advanced without worrying about being caught on the counter so much. It's yeah, we've. I mean, it's two games in. Let's not get carried away. But it's been amazing. Yeah, it's, we've had two really good games. I mean, you say don't get carried away, but there I am, a Reading fan, uh, two games down top of the league, and I just want them to cool lockdown and just void the league as it is at the moment, and just declare everything finished. Exactly, like um, like they were going to do with Liverpool. Yeah, <laughs> and then the title. Yeah. I, that would have been hilarious. I was talking about that with a friend the other day about how he almost he's he's a he's a Southampton fan. For some reason, he's really he doesn't like Liverpool. I think it's still back to the fact that they took all their players about five six years ago. Um, and he just said, Liverpool training academy for a they bit, were they? yeah <laughs> they used to call them congratulations the Liverpool under twenty threes every time yeah. they were <laughs> Um, but when he said, I wish they'd been handed the title because then it wouldn't feel that official. Like they had a great season and they still even had nine games left to pay, but there'd always be that little asterisk yeah, next asterisk to their name. FC, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's undignified how much it hurts. It, it's, oh, because we got away with it in, was it 2014? Mm. Uh, Gerard slip year. Yeah which that's the only time I've ever put a bet on football, strangely. When they were six to one, I put 20 quid on them winning it So I thought, I'm going to need it if they win it. <laughs> I'm going to need a weekend. And Parachute baby. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, exactly. So I'm not, I'm not going to lie, it's, it's, it's extremely painful. You can't even say they don't deserve it. That is the thing, yeah. They, they did very, very well. But as you, as, a, as an Evertonian from Liverpool, what is that rivalry actually like there? Brutal. Because <laughs> <laughs> it seems worse for Everton, because sometimes it feels like they hate Liverpool so much, but Liverpool don't hate them as much as they hate Manchester United. Well, they say this, but... Whenever they win a derby, they do a very good impression of uh, people who really care about it. That's you used to get that all the time. You're not actually a very big fixture to us. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, as we always, we always start with, like you know, um, football heaven, football hell, and I'd say that the football heaven at the moment is the future of 
of Everton and it just it does look bright I mean another player as well I love is obviously um, Calvert-Lewin who's oh just I quality I mean he's been wonders for me and my fantasy football team thank you and uh, yeah I mean that's got to be good news for him because he was coming he was looking good for a bit last season but now with the Euros at the end of the 2020-2021 season there's got to be a chance for him there Absolutely I think if you're quite a conventional centre forward you're hugely dependent on the players playing behind you. And that's that's what's made the difference, definitely, with, with Calvert-Lewin. Um, and you've got Richarlison there as well, which is awesome. But, uh, yeah, once when you've got Hammers feeding passes through to you, it, mm. it's, it's centre-forward's absolute dream. I'd, re- I'd really hope he gets, gets a look in, even if he, he doesn't play in the... Uh, upcoming Euros. It'd be mm. nice to see him in the squad, certainly. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I suppose at the moment there is, though, it, it, had it happened last summer, you sort of had, it seemed like that final position was going to go to Danny Ings. And yeah. now it looks like his place could be up for grabs because there are a few young strikers now, English strikers, like um, like him, who are, who are really coming through the ranks. And there's a lot of opportunities there now, I think. Well, certainly with Danny Ings's age, I mean, he, what is he, 32? I think so, around 30s, yeah. So, and um, we know this about Southgate. He doesn't like including players that he doesn't see as having a, a future. Mm. He likes to in- include players that that uh, have got a, a sort of, it will be long-term staples. So I, I absolutely see no reason why not if he goes on as he's going. He's just, he's got... He's not a massive guy, but he's got physicality and he just connects at the right moment if he's been served well. So I'd really hope so. It'd be lovely. I mean, there's lots of goals at the moment. I mean, you look at the scores for the last couple of games, and as I said, as we've recorded this, we're only um, already two weeks in, well, two games really into the into the Premier League. And you look at some results like Everton five, West Brom two, Leeds four, Fulham three, Man United one, Crystal Palace three. Um, you know, there's high scoring games. I mean, it just seems an opportunity. Goals galore at the moment. I hope it continues. It's brilliant. It's like um, Boxing Day used to be when they all turned up half pissed. <laughs> like, and, and, you know, they, they conceded at least three because the goalkeeper was retching on the sideline. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> I've really enjoyed it. I'd like to think that's the same reason now. They all sort of thought they had their lockdown. They thought we got four weeks. Let's make the most of it. A few of them went to Zanti while they, while they could. <laughs> and they've all yeah. come back. Yeah, they've all, all got a little bit of timber, all got, you know, Sambuca still in the system, I would hope so. That's how we like our football here, that's how we like it. Um, so so we're then going move, moving, as we said, supporting Everton, football heaven, very recent, but then also it must be the case for football hell as well, with Liverpool winning the title, hate to bring it up again. Um, but yeah. I mean, that... <laughs> I mean, the fact is that I suppose that must have been a nice thing for Everton for so long in that kind of rivalry <laughs> that they that, hadn't won anything for 30 years. Oh, we were really hanging on to that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it was worse. Um, it was it was something to hold on to, certainly in the early 90s. For the, you could remember, for my first 10 years going, um, it was a good season for us if we were safe with five games to go. Mm. Like, 
the first whole, this is before Moyes. The whole first decade was bleak, man. Yeah, and they've just Liverpool just sort of chuntering away, underachieving has been uh, a massive comfort. This is been unceremoniously <laughs> snatched away from us. Never mind, eh? <laughs> oh man, there, there we go. But who knows? Wouldn't it be perfect? And obviously, I, I'm gonna. Stranger things have happened, Sam. Stranger things have happened. As former guest Jack Topher, Leicester fan knows, yeah. you never know. Wouldn't it be perfect if after 30 years, Liverpool pick up the title? <laughs> and then just saying, I know, what are the odds? I mean, I could probably look up now. The odds would be something I, oh. you might not want to see. But imagine if then after those 30 years, Everton go and win the title straight <laughs> I can't even like I'm not I can't even allow myself to f- fantasize about that. Yeah. Like I'm far too superstitious. It'd be Palace now, won't it? That's uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the thing, isn't it? Because I I think I think there's something especially with English football fans of that kind of optimism is never quite there. Because like I said a, a minute ago, a former guest, Jack Tofer, who's a Leicester fan, I sort of mm-hmm. said to him, when did you start to believe and think we could do this? And he said, well, I didn't really. I went, what about yeah. when, like, you know, Chelsea scored that second goal and there were seconds to go? And he went, I still didn't quite get it. It wasn't until I think full time went, he still didn't believe it. And he had to go down to the stadium just to see the other fans <laughs> and just admit that this had happened. Like, it is, it is something about that. Um, but what I like is, and I feel this a little bit as a supporting a, a not very big team, a bit of a tin pot team. Um, is there something, and I don't, I mean this fully respectfully, Sam, I mean this fully respectfully, I think there's something nice, especially in like a rivalry like Everton and Liverpool, you're probably going to cheat me for saying this, but there's something nice about being the underdog. Well, there has to be, because how else do you frame your existence? How else do you frame <laughs> supporting Everton through being the underdog? I mean, in the 90s, we were known as uh, dogs of war. Um, because we're extremely old school, straightforward mm. underdogs, just loads of big bastards like that. That was we were very reliant on that for uh, for for a long time. So it's I think, however you were when you get into supporting a club is mm. how you imagine it will be for all time. Yeah. Like there are those older than me who remember the eighties who think mm. our natural place is to be winning stuff yeah there are people slightly younger than me who only remember Moyes and they think that we're just always between six and twelve right and uh but but for me I just I still habitually check who we have to um beat on the last day of the season to stay up really yeah yeah absolutely well my first season 94 was the uh Wimbledon 3-2 it was an absolute Ooh. miracle we stayed up. Um, God, Wimbledon don't even exist anymore, do they? That's great. <laughs> uh, but for younger listeners, they were good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Wimbledon were good. And uh, we some after being two down, we somehow stayed up. Um, coming back to 3-2 with a 35-yard screamer by Barry Horn. Wow, Barry Horn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because you get commentators saying the following season, oh, we can hit him from this distance, and he absolutely can't. That was just some weird aberration. 
<laughs> so it's just the weirdest thing. And then we nearly went down again in 98, but essentially mm. we throughout the 90s, we could have gone every season. So so you say then about the 94 season was was kind of your first. What, what were your early memories of Everton and how did you get into supporting Everton Football Club? Well, I think it sort of passed down through family. My granddad uh, came to Liverpool. Uh, he was a policeman mm. and he policed both Everton and Liverpool games and um, preferred Everton. So he took my dad, who took me and my sister. Um, and yeah, you're just sort of cursed at birth, aren't you? It's <laughs> whichever way it goes, it's handed to you. You can't, you can't shun it. But yeah, so I think 93 would have been okay. the first game. It would have been against, I would have been eight. Um, it would have been against Man City. I think we won 1-0. I think Paul Rideout scored. But uh, yeah, we, were str- we struggled that season. We were bad. <laughs> well, I mean, the Premier League was only, what, one season old at that point. Um, and in fact, I think that's maybe around the same time I went to my first game as well. Um, what, what were your... So it was, it was your dad who took you to, the, to those yeah. first games and your sister as well. Oh, brilliant. Mm. And was that... Because that's quite still a young age, you know, eight eight years old because I I'm one of these people who kind of liked football when they're about sort of eight nine I went off it for a few years got back into it kind of in my mid-teens when I started playing it again um yeah. was, was that it were you just a fan from then on yeah oh, uh, I think you don't you don't really understand at seven or eight do you and it's no. maybe if you're constantly into it it's maybe 10 or 11 that you're a bit more aware of the process mm. and you can look up stats and you can devour stuff it's great um, and that was especially good because it was ni- uh, 1995 we won the FA Cup. Yeah. So that's like peak age for me. Like 10 to 11, you're absolutely devouring every inch of it. It's fantastic. <laughs> I think that's what it is. is some- something happens, whether it be something good or something bad, that hooks you into football. I think if yeah. you just go and support a team who are kind of mediocre and, and kind of nothing much happens when you support them, it's very easy to lose interest. Um, I think for me, what kept me in football was, was I think, like you said, it's either something beautiful, like an FA Cup final win, or it's something heartbreaking. For me, I think it was England losing in the 1998 World Cup. Like, oh. that is my first football heartbreak. and I'm never quite over it. You look back at anything else and you go, oh, you know, Euro 96, we gave it our all. Not really Southgate's fault, but he's redeemed himself. You look back at um, 2018. Wow, we were outclassed on the day. But 98, I still, if I ever watch the clips, I'm still angry about it now. Yeah, why wouldn't you be? Yeah. But also, we had, ex- you know, we're at a worst when we have expectations. Like, 2018 was brilliant because we went into it thinking might get out of the group <laughs> yeah like be, be sound not really expecting anything and then it was just wonderful it was a really good world cup as a whole and then oh, uh, yeah. but yeah certainly night the thing about 93 night think about avoiding relegation rather is it's awful but when you do it it's so exhilarating it's like the most amazing thing to swerve relegation on the final day. So, yeah, you're equally cursed and blessed with it, aren't you? Like, like you say. So back then, who were your kind of early heroes at Everton? I mean, that, you, that would have been the era of, you know, the, the, the great Duncan Ferguson, who I'd like to talk about in a minute. But who else <laughs> did we, were, you, uh, were you really into? Gosh, yeah. I mean, 
Duncan Ferguson was amazing, obviously. Uh, um, slightly later on, Andre Kinchelskis. Yeah, Andre Kinchelskis, yeah. And I think probably he's the closest I've seen to a player like Hammers. Mm. Like, just a properly classy, beautiful, silky sort of winger, but also attacking midfielder. It's fantastic. So, yeah, pr- probably probably him. I always used to really enjoy watching Andy Hinchcliffe play. Andy Hinchcliffe, okay, yeah. Who was, who was um, people forget, was part of that 98 World Cup squad. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, don't, I, I can't remember how many caps he got. I don't think it was loads. Um, <laughs> like he's always he... my go-to answer if I ever go on Pointless. <laughs> I always think, because he's, he's been involved in so many random England squads uh, or like various kind of cup final ties. I always think, like, name a player who played in the cup final, Andy Hinchcliffe. Name a yeah. player who's had a cap for England, but, you know, one cap or two caps for England, Andy Hinchcliffe. He's, he's your go-to answer for any football quiz if you want to look clever. <laughs> Absolutely. But also, like, I don't know, it's it's an early marauding fullback, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, took a good free kick, took a good corner. And I think I think the side of the ground I sat in as well meant we were shooting towards the Gladys Street when he was in front of me at the ground. So it's it's just who catches your eye, isn't it? Oh, Neville hmm. Southall, of course. I was about to say Neville Southall, yeah. Do, do you follow him on Twitter? Yes. He's great, isn't he? <laughs> He's amazing. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, it, it's weird. I met him when I was a kid and he was amazing. And, um... Now I'm grown up and he's still amazing. It's like <laughs> just occasionally your heroes do not disappoint. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, does he still, I don't know if he still does this, but I remember he used to kind of rent out or loan out his Twitter account to various causes, didn't he? Yeah, I think he still does it. I think it got, <laughs> there was a hiatus because it ended up being taken over by an adult baby account. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember that. <laughs> So, so I think he gave it a rest. I think he does it again now. But he's um, he works in a uh, people referral unit in Wales. Really? So he's not like, yeah, he's not like um, he's probably the last of those that didn't make a lot of money um, through football. So yeah, he has he's got a couple of foster kids. Works with kids who are struggling for his day job, and still does like loads of fundraisers and stuff on the in the evenings. He's yeah, he's a proper mensch, Neville Southall. If he can, yeah. Get in there! Well done, he's 13. Game, set and match, yeah, Um But yeah, so going back then, I want to talk a bit about Duncan Ferguson because, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, I mean, this is, I'm a little bit annoyed in a way that Everton are doing so well because there was a little period where Duncan Ferguson was kind of a caretaker manager for like a couple of yeah. games and I just <laughs> thought, Please, it would be so good. I could, I could, I can just imagine him in in like management, especially at Everton. It, well, yeah, what's fantastic about that though is he's still assistant manager, so like, he's still involved. Yeah, but he just looks so imposing. I just thought Duncan Ferguson in a suit. <laughs> I just couldn't imagine such a thing. Cuddling the ball boys and everything. Yeah, and scored. It was amazing. Yeah, it was. It, it's been involved all. Uh, all the way along since since he retired. But I think perhaps if if you're a Carlo Ancelotti, if you're quite tactically aware and possibly a bit cerebral, maybe you need an enforcer mm. as your second in command. And I, I, I kind of love that, that 
that he's he'll be the one uh, going imposing the will of uh, of Don Carlo. It's uh, yeah, I, I love him. He's fantastic. He was all that was good for a very long time. There were some very dark days when it was only Duncan Ferguson that was good. What about the presence of Carlo Ancelotti now, his arrival, and he takes over next week? What does that mean for you? That's brilliant. That's fantastic for the club, isn't it? I mean, the guy that paid to come here, I can't wait to start working with him, and I'm sure I'll learn, I'll learn a lot. Have you chatted to him at all? Not at all, no. But hopefully we'll have a chat tonight and a glass of red wine. <laughs> Work out your role here. That's it, yeah. I think I'll get a few bowls of red wine doing me, mate. I might become the uh, co-manager or something. <laughs> It's a funny old game. Comedians talking about football. Do you, where did you watch that 95 final? Well, I didn't get to go. And my dad slept. There was a good few hundred people. Uh, we didn't have a season ticket. So obviously you only get Wembley tickets if you've got enough away yeah. stubs or a season ticket. Um, and my dad slept outside Goodison Park trying to get tickets for mm. it as well and I think he got to about 50 from the front Blessing. I know um, so I, it would have been in my front room but there was zero expectation because it was it was Man U yeah. and we'd just somehow beaten Spurs in the semi mm. we'd beaten them like 4-1 and everybody expected the final to be a Spurs United showdown Yeah, and it was that little bit sweeter by, yeah, ah, bollocks to you all. No, we're mm. going to be in it, actually. Uh, so, yeah, it's just in my front room, just with my parents, because I, I was only little. Oh, they're, they're, they're the best things. It's brilliant. And then you've got, um, I mean, the fact is what people forget that I suppose these days it'd be a little bit easier to get to. But, I mean, old Wembley didn't have as many seats back then, unfortunately. No. Uh, um, but by the end, it was ready for replacing as well, actually. Because the times I, I went between, I did get to go in 95, but I had, I've been since with England stuff and it was really ready for going by the time it had gone. People glorify it, but it was, you know, it, it was barely holding up by the end. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh. old Wembley. Wild old Wembley. Wembley. Um, <laughs> that... <laughs> I only went to see that uh, Bohemian Rhapsody film because I heard it had CGI old Wembley in it. Was it recognisable? Yeah, it was great because my wife wanted to go and see it. And I was like, I, I'm not, I, I like Queen, but I w- didn't, wasn't massively fussed about seeing the film. I quite enjoyed it. But she showed me the trailer and went, look at this. And there's a bit obviously from Live Aid. I went, oh, they've recreated old yeah. Wembley let's go and I was sat through the whole film just going when's Wembley coming up and they do you see everything they've really played <laughs> it nicely which just goes to show that my uh, my screenplay for the World Cup 1966 World Cup final is all ready to go <laughs> failing that the uh, the uh, playoff final from 1995 Reading versus Bolton the biggest heartbreak in football history uh, oh, that's no. good to go as well rejected by Universal that's devastating people won't remember who Bolton are in five years will they oh no I, my my <laughs> My friend's a Bolton fan. Oh, no. Because uh, it's very similar. It's always very much, isn't it? it? It gets passed down for generations. And he grew up, I mean, in that, with me down south of England and everything uh, in Berkshire. But his dad was uh, was, was, was a Bolton fan because his granddad was. And he's, he grew up a Bolton fan, which I'm sure in the days of Nicholas and Elka, um, Sam Allardyce was all fine. But now they're down in League <laughs> 2. It's oh bless them. Yeah, it's very sad actually. You know, I'm worried with all that with everything that's going on at the moment that there's going to be more teams suffering in that that's way. 
the thing, however bad it is, as long as you're not being asset stripped, as long mm. as you're not actually going out of business, there's, uh, it's, yeah, it, it's terrible. There's going to be lots more. Mm. In, in, in many ways, Barry are ahead of the curve, aren't they? Because they yeah. actually, they were starting to get a Phoenix club set up even before COVID. So before, you know, the other dominoes started falling, they're probably they're probably doing okay right now mm. rather than being a Wigan or a Bolton or a, who else has got Macclesfield. Yeah, they're the latest, aren't they? Macclesfield. Mm. It always seems to be sadly that whenever these teams go under or when they're going, when there's issues now, a lot of them are saying, do you know what? Yeah, COVID's one thing, but we saw this coming a mile off because the management's not any good. Yeah. And there's, there's the owners and directors test, isn't there? but it, I don't think it, I don't think it places many demands on ownership. No. So, you know, you can still just be sold off to any Tim Pot nobody who wants to filter some funds for you. No. So it could be worse. It could always be worse. It could always be worse, Sam. You're absolutely right. Um, oh, should we talk a bit, a bit about Old Wembley back then? What, I, I, one place I've never been to. I've been outside <laughs> as Goodison Park. I had a little walk around outside once. What's, oh, that, wow. what's that like as a ground? It's really old school in a really pleasant way i think mm. if um i'm trying to think of similar grounds it's it's not if you've ever if you've been to villa park yes it's got a very similar vibe to villa park oh, great. um and as, as you'll know it's only uh it's only over the it's less than a mile away from anfield mm. so it's it's still kind of bricks and pillars and uh surrounded by terrace housing it's the sort you you don't you don't see anymore really and when it's good it's amazing because it's really enclosed as well i think that's another problem with modern stadiums is the kind of circular very gently sloping ones you don't get much of a an atmosphere but when it's very uh built up and very enclosed with, uh, within four walls it, it can it, it can really build up and when it's good it's great but when it turns it's toxic it's like you know when uh, when things went bad under Ronald Coleman for example mm. it was just the atmosphere was putrid and as wow. much as it can bounce and you know the Gladys Street can suck a goal in once once they're unhappy. They're really unhappy. Um, but yeah, we looks like we might be moving anyway. It looks like we're going to move to the dock side to uh, Bramley Mall. What do you make of that move? Because I, I personally, for me, uh, I, I really love the old grounds. I mean, the, the guest on the last, um, or one of the previous episodes was Nathan Caton, who's a Brentford fan. And we were talking yeah. about Griffin Park going. Oh yeah, Griffin and Park. I, and I love Griffin Park. It's always been one of my favourite away days to do. And it's just such a nice little, I mean, I understand, obviously, if, they, if they're a team who are sort of knocking on the door of the Premiership, mm. you're going to want a bigger ground. But it's still a shame that all these little, well, not always little, but these sort of town grounds and ones that have been there for so long especially one like Goodison Park kind of going it's a shame that you've got to draw your income from it Mm. and your long-term sustainability depends on having a bigger ground uh in our instance I think and I think this is the same with Griffin Park it's um 
it's not too bad because there will be a purpose-built football stadium but so much yeah so much of your financial viability is based Mm. on uh not just gates but events and um Mm. marketing and whatnot and income you can draw from your stadium so yeah it, it, it is a shame but it's it's a shame in the same way everything you have to do for financial viability is a shame. In, mm. You know, in the same way that the Premier League has made everything about income. No, unfortunately, that is the way. And and it, it, with, if you do make that move, um, obviously me not being too familiar with, with the area, is it still quite accessible for fans to, to walk to from the local area? Yeah, in fact, it'll be easier. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> That's good. Well, it... It's a, in some respects because we're currently in in Walton, which yeah. is a very sort of working class, um, proper sort of old school Liverpool area. It is where people live, but to get to the docks, you can just hop off off the train and walk down. So it still will be really, it it'll still be where people are. Whereas, like we, we, we there was uh, talk of us moving to Kirby. Uh, ages ago and it would have been outside the city and that would have been grim because you mm. at least want it to feel like you're surrounded by the people who are supporting you. Yeah, I mean, that that can be the issue sometimes. I, mean, I, I do think it's good that White Hart Lane uh, and whatever they're calling the stadium now, New White Hart Lane, the Tottenham Stadium, is is kind of where it was. I think that's good because my, my father-in-law, he's um, from East London and, and Essex oh, yeah. and he's you know a West Ham fan. He's been going since the 70s. And I remember him going to the Berlin ground just before it closed. And I've been with him once to the new ground. And yeah, it's going to take a little bit of a while to get used to. Because my very first game, um, back a similar time when, when you went to your first game, was was, was a yeah. West Ham game. Um, and I, anyway, so it was quite nice. I said, I'll go with him to a game. I think it was West Ham Newcastle, which you'd expect to be really loud and, and you know you you get there and we we did sort of all the old traditions he went we went mile end in east london all these old boozers he used to go to and it was great atmosphere then you got on the train you stopped at the olympic park and then you went on an olympic run to get to the ground it was like a marathon to get there you get off the, the oh. train and they're all there i'm forever blown by and it feels like a good atmosphere and then about two months down the road, <laughs> i'm forever blown <laughs> And you finally get to the ground. It's a beautiful um, stadium, don't get me wrong. And we were unfortunately right up in the nosebleeds. And um, when they were all singing, I'm forever blowing bubbles, that was good. And then kind of, you know, five minutes into the game, can you, can you sit down, please, sir? Can, can oh, God. Down? And, and uh, I just remember, you know, this is, I was sat next to him and this is a man who, you know, used to go in the 70s and the 80s and stuff. And <laughs> two, <laughs> two seats down from us, there was a kid on, a, on, a, um, on an iPad. Oh. playing a game and oh. I just saw him look at him like what is happening <laughs> <laughs> it's, you just even if you're at the front you're a long way away aren't you there because yeah. you're because of the athletics track and whatnot so if you're up in the gods it's I I'd never been to I don't think I've been to one of the newer ones but mm. I, yeah, I mean you must feel a long way away because like you were saying before, there's one end of Goodison Park, which can suck in a goal. And if you move, it might take a little bit of time to get that sort of back together. And um, because when I went to this West Ham, you could see 
they, there was kind of patches of fans stood up around the ground. They're like, okay, that corner is the loud corner. Oh no, over there behind the goal is the loud corner. And I think what's, what they need to do is sort of get them together to like a singing standing section and and, yeah. and go from there really. But hopefully but, that won't be the same issue with Everton. I think the, what gives me some hope is that it is going to be built as a football stadium. Because if mm. you have it built like, like you say, is like um, the olympic stadium yeah that that's built for athletics and it's just not like acoustically it, it's not built to be a good atmosphere for football yeah. so it gets converted I mean, it's a bit the same at the etihad that was uh that's that's formerly commonwealth games mm. uh and you it, it's just really noticeable that it's not built for the purpose it's being used for mm. so like but like you say, I think um, Chelsea's new one uh, is going to be virtually same site and enclosed, same as Spurs, isn't it? So hopefully they'll start all building them with at least the express purpose that you can enjoy football there. Hopefully. And the good thing is it's staying where it is. It'd be awful if it was just this long walk down on the docks or something <laughs> in the middle of, like it is, like it is at West Ham. It's sad because they come out like, yeah, we've won. And then it's just this very empty ground with a couple oh. of Nandos and stuff around. Oh, gosh. Like, like on a sort of deserted out of town retail park. Yeah. yeah. I mean, trust me as a Reading fan, I know how that feels. Because uh, we are literally at a retail park is where uh, our ground is. Um, I've never been to the Medeski, sorry. Not many have, not many have, don't worry. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a funny old game. Comedians talking about football. How did you get into, we talked about your, your venture into supporting Everton. What was your venture into the world of comedy? Gosh, I guess I started... I'd always fancied doing it and it must be about five years ago. I just, it was somebody invited me to do an open spot for charity Mm. um, where you did a course and then you tried to sell 10 tickets and then, uh, you know, they made money out of it. And actually, yeah, I, I just kept doing the Northwest circuit's really good in that respect that you can just, there's loads of places you can just turn up and do it. And if you've always fancied it, it doesn't even really matter if you're any good or not. You can just turn up and you can do it. There's loads of places where you'll, you'll be embraced. Uh, strangely, if I took a bit of a break and I just started doing it again when COVID hit. Oh. So I think every, everyone's discovering whether they've got a side hustle or not now, aren't they? Because yeah. nobody knows what's going to still be there in six months' time. Lots of sort of pokey upstairs rooms that have, have served such a great purpose, and I don't know how many will still be there. But, I mean, that, I suppose what you're saying about um, side hustle and everything, you've done a lot of writing as well. Um, mm. You've got a lot of credits sort of up there as well, and you've done some, a bit of football writing as well. Yeah, bits, uh, bits and pieces. Um, I'm actually hoping to start um, a podcast with my friend Kelly Wells, who's oh, cool. um, also a football writer, um, but a more experienced football writer than than me, certainly. Uh, but it's 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 remarkable how many areas of your life football bleeds into. Mm. So if you've got any kind of um, 
inclination to write at all. It's just such an obvious and easy, natural thing to write about. It's really, yeah, it's really good. Really enjoy doing that. So this podcast coming up then, so what's... We're not entirely clear on the format of it, but Mm. there's going to be football, there's going to be mental health, and there's going to be just nonsense. So it's not going to be hyper serious. It's not going to be massively sort of, it's not going to be tactical breakdowns football wise. Mm. Um, but it, it, it will be a lot of, of chatter. It's, it's, you know, it's just COVID is just a chance to see if you've got any attitude for it. Yeah. And if you have, then it, it's worth the risk, isn't it? Oh, of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. So have you gigged uh, at all then since lockdown? when things started to get a bit easier? I gigged the day before lockdown. I've, I've, I've not been able to since. I've, like, I had a bereavement in the middle of COVID as well, so yeah. <laughs> I've been like incredibly busy. Um, but I, I know it is opening up a bit. I know there's lots of people who do it online gigs and stuff. Yeah, I, I didn't... See, I, I didn't do any of them. I did one, I think. Um, but I, I, they just didn't look very appealing to me. I think it's because I watched one and just thought, oh my God, no. Um, and, uh, but now that seems like it might be coming back again. What with yeah. kind of, we've had this little window open because see, I had the same thing to you. I, I gigged, I think two days before the lockdown came in, in Reading and I was leaving there with Bobby Mayer and we were kind of talking on the way back of saying, well, what do you think is going to happen? And he was kind of like, well, I don't care. I've got a TV work, man. I'm cool. (laughs) I was like, yeah, cool, man. I'm just a little open micer. I don't know nothing. (laughs) He was like, you know, I got got TV work. I was like, I've got a full-time job. I'm just doing this. I'm an open micer, mate. And we were like, hey, we're okay. Don't worry. I'm like, all right, yeah, good attitude. i take that. And then um, then obviously there was, you know, during during lockdown, there was the the, – you know the the issues with funding and everything, and the you know, hashtag Save Live Comedy. And then, as as comedy started to open up again, I, I managed to run a couple of nights uh, in my home, oh, wow. hometown of Swindon, which was great. They were outside. We did a curry and comedy night, which was great fun. Um, and then I've done a couple of gigs since as well, and I've died on my ass at every single one. So no. now I just want live comedy to burn. <laughs> I'm well, sick of it. I hate the- it. <laughs> great thing about doing it online is you absolutely can't tell if you're dying yeah that's true that's true um like... problem is if you don't have constant feedback you've got no idea and you start writing for yourself not for an audience yeah that's true because everyone's got like everyone's got jokes that they love and you and that just don't work just don't work live it could be your favourite joke in the world, and it won't if it, if it, if it doesn't bang with an audience. It's you've just got to let it go. Yeah, that's and the other thing is, is if you have a bad gig, normally you can go well three days later. I'll, I'll work on that, do something else, and you might have another crap gig. But then after that, you might have a a, a decent one a few days after that. Um, whereas now it's so the chances are so few and far between at the moment um, that you know there is that that break. But yeah, it was annoying having a really good gig before lockdown then having the break and just sort of enjoying that for so long and then but no it's I mean it's a shame I mean I I think some will survive hopefully and some people I mean obviously as I said the chances are few and far between but it's good to have people you know especially the professionals and people who rely on this as an income being able to get back out there and, and doing and doing stuff 
Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many people doing it. There's so many people doing it for love in comedy. Mm. Like, you know, you know, when you gig for the, you know, people are happy to gig, including me and you, I'm sure, for a sort of £10 from the door money. It's, mm. there's, there's enough people who just do it for the love of it that uh, will keep it going, hopefully, as long as there are actually venues in future and we're ever allowed to leave the house again. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I miss the people as well. I mean, I, I mean, I think nice. it's, it's very similar to football in that way mm-hmm. in that you've got your comedy friends who you only see through comedy and you've mm. got your football friends who you only see through football Yeah, and your work friends who you only see through day work. Mm. And we're cut off from all of them at, at the moment. At least it, emphasizes how many different groups of people um make up your life very true um so so here's a question then for you uh what maybe in the early days when you were doing stand-up or maybe if you've got a gig that the little bit nerve-wracking big gig or like the first gig maybe back after lockdown um what is your own personal team talk to yourself to get you rolled up for it Oh, God, you know, the first time, I can still remember this from years ago, the first time I ever gigged. Um, do, you, uh, do you know Sam Avery? I know the name. Don't know by person, but know the name. Yeah, I remember speaking to him and he said, just hum Zagkars. Amazing. That's, that's <laughs> fantastic. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. But, I'd, I'd, yeah, I have. I've certainly been known to do that. Certainly if it's one that I'm, I'm a bit, if, um, you know, I'm a bit nervous about, I think, it, you know, that'll, that'll will still get you going. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> it, it's amazing the sort of visceral reaction you can have to something like that. That's probably the, well, for this podcast, especially, that's probably the best answer you could have given. <laughs> very on brand, very on brand. It's just such a similar feeling to before a match that you're dreading. Mm. It, it's just remarkably similar. So it is somehow a, a, a massive comfort. I, I can actually see that. I mean, I suppose that the nervousness before a game is, say, take a, like a, a big cup game, a, a cup semi-final, cup final, whatever. It's big and it's great and it's mostly nerve-wracking because you can know it can go either two ways. You know what's up for grabs, which is just, you know, euphoria, but you also know what the risk is as well. And that can be the same with a big gig. You know that it can be just that you you smash it, you're going to dine out on this for so long, it's going to be great, but if you die on your ass, oh boy. At least it's only comedy, it's only, if you do it in a club, it's only maximum of 20 minutes really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that can feel like a long time. <laughs> yeah, that can but, feel like 90 minutes plus extra time and penalties. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but no, it's good. At least, no, 20 minutes, <laughs> subbed off. Yeah. Else. Oh, could you imagine if you could just... <laughs> oh, no. Do you know what? Oh, that would be... That that could I do you know it doesn't it won't surprise me if at some point someone runs so it's, I mean I say somewhere London where they would do some sort of open mic thing where you get to like three minutes and they can just oh. see that the MC just go yeah. <laughs> on you go mate on you go get up on you you're on you're on oh god yeah some some poor sob from the under twenty threes comes on for you it's oh. uh, <laughs> no it's grim. 
One similarity I've noticed in some of the gigs, I'm not going to name any names, don't want to dob anyone in. Sorry, government. I'm not going to snitch. But I <laughs> like that they've, <laughs> they've, a lot of people have come off stage and interacted with the MC in the same way that footballers come off and interact with the managers at the moment. So they, they get, they come off and they do that kind of elbow thing. Yeah. <laughs> They'll do the elbow thing. And this cracks me up in football. They keep doing this elbow thing or they do this kind of, do that. That looks cooler when you sort of, yeah. sort of hit each other like that. But then straight after they've done that, obviously you wouldn't want to shake hands. It's dangerous. They then cuddle each other. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That absolutely cracks me up. They go, all right, well done. Oh, 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 yeah, well done. Yeah. Hey, there we go. <laughs> it's so good. We know this from science. It is only our hands that are vectors <laughs> of disease. <laughs> Well, Sam, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. It's, it's so good to have you on. But the thing is, Sam White, you come on here and you go, oh, I'm, I'm an Everton fan. I went when I was eight and oh, cup finals, Duncan Ferguson's and Andy Hinchcliffe's and all that. But the thing is, you can't just come on to any podcast and claim that. You have to take some sort of test. Therefore, oh, it is <laughs> that time of the podcast where you take the uh, sudden death 10 question quiz. Um, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> don't worry, it's uh, it's uh, a quiz all about your beloved Everton. And uh, oh, I'll tell you what, oh, God, this is going to be really bad. I, I keep getting shit from a few listeners for forgetting to do this. Uh, do, you, do you have you ever seen the Richard Herring podcast? Yeah. Uh, he has emergency uh, questions. I have emergency facts that I like to, oh. to drop in to the, the interview, which I haven't done one yet. So I, be, I better throw one of these in really quickly. Um, uh, oh, okay, here's, here's a great thing I found out. Um, so this is this is along the lines of the rivalry as well to do with Everton and Liverpool. Um, and that is that uh, Everton's relatively new merchandise store was placed very cleverly, um, probably <laughs> influenced by Toffee supporters. Everton's second mega store, mm. complete with everything a blue scouser could want, you know, <laughs> named Everton Two in the fa- in the fashion of their first megastore, Everton One, where the first shop is located off Walton near Goodison Park. The second store was opened in the Liverpool One shopping centre near the heart of the city. As a result, part of Everton's second megastore actual address reads Everton Two, Liverpool One. Indeed, <laughs> yeah. I should, I should point out as well that that the, the first mega store was never originally called Everton One. That was is it not? Entire, no. That is, <laughs> they rebranded two shops to do that joke, which I really? think is totally worth Yeah, <laughs> absolutely worth it. I think that's funny to this day. Um, I love that. I think that's great. So if you were to write something or send something back to that store, you have to write Everton Two, Liverpool two, One. Liverpool that's one. fantastic. <laughs> um, and then I wanted to, well, this is something I, I found in my research, was the, the Prince Rupert's Tower, oh, which yeah. of course can be in the crest as well. Yeah. Um, and, and I wanted to, to sort of fact check this, because I only found it on a certain things, and some are saying it's something completely different. It was Essentially, it was a lockup, um, yeah. but it used to hold... It was a holding place where local drunks were taken to sober up by parish constables. Yeah, it's just, it was essentially a drunk tank. And uh, I'm not even sure how it worked its way into the crest, but it is on, uh, you know, it, it's on Everton Brow. It's still there. Uh, I don't think they put drunks in it anymore. But yeah, it was essentially a drunk tank. And for minor offenders as well, who'd face um, 
who were facing magistrates in the morning. They'd just be kept in it overnight. Amazing. Do you know, how did that end up becoming the shirt emblem, I, shirt badge? I, I suspect it's just because it's located in Everton and it's seen as sort of emblematic of the area. It doesn't speak wildly yeah, well of the area when the, <laughs> your area is predominantly defined by a drunk tank, but I think it's suitable. <laughs> and final fact, it's nothing amazing, but I just thought this was quite nice. And it goes back to what we're talking about with, with grounds and everything. It hosted five World Cup games in 1966. It did. My dad saw Eusebio play there. No way, really? Yeah. Yeah, apparently it was incredible. It's like, because it did host loads and one of them was Brazil and it was vintage Brazil. So, uh, yeah, I think everyone's dad, lots of Liverpool dads have got a a story about 66 and which games they went to and so on. Amazing. Well, that's what I was going to finish that bit with. The 12th of July, 1966, where Pele's graced the uh, Goodison Park pitch. Indeed. Yeah, it's um, amazing. Um, so, well, I mean, facts are one thing, but still, you know, these are these are the questions. So we're taking these from the BBC website, and I know probably people are going to think I'm being a bit harsh because most of the questions before have come from the CBBC website or the Beano <laughs> website. I'm, I'm going to treat you with respect, Sam, and we're going to go in high level here, Auntie oh, B. Oh, God. So here we go. This is a nice, easy one to start with. So question one. Okay. Um, which of these stadiums is Everton's home ground? Bellafield or Goodison Park? That would be Goodison Park. Do I like that? Bellfield is the previous training ground before Finch Farm. Then an extra fact <laughs> thrown in there as well. Question two. What do Everton mascots throw into the crowd? Is it biscuits, pies or toffees? That would be toffees. Do I like that? They're uh, actually Everton mints. They're horrible. But uh, Are they? yeah, <laughs> yeah. What's Everton well, it, mints then? Uh, it's like a toffee centre with like a mint humbug on the outside. So it's it's a horrible combination. But yeah, this uh, the toffee lady still throws them. You always try and get them, but they are disgusting. Um, I look forward to them if I ever go. So I'm sending you an image over now of a <laughs> footballer, and you need to tell me whether this man that you see in front of you is. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, mm-hmm. Umar Niesi, Theo Walcott or Yeri Mina? That would be Umar Nias. Do I like that? Do you know what? He's a bit of a legend. He, like, Ronald Koeman bullied him terribly. Really? Uh, yeah, he was an absolute shitbag to him. He uh, took away his squad number, oh, uh, no. took away his locker, made him train with the under-23s, eat his meals with the under-23s. Um, no, he's a really horrible bloke, Ronald Coleman. Yeah, that and, sound, that's weird when they do stuff like that. I, that's just degrading. Yeah, like I, I think he went out on loan to Holland, scored a couple for them. Mm. But uh, yeah, there's no need for it, is there? No, no nothing like that. That'd be and like. Of course, sorry, go on. No, no, go on, go on, carry on. Well, like he, Ronald Coleman came in saying, "Oh, you know, I might be a bastard, but I've got unrelenting standards," and. Uh, you know, ended up having to be bailed out by Sam Allardyce. So he clearly didn't have unrelenting stand. I'm delighted he's been handed this poison chalice at Barca, to be honest, because he's a piece of shit. Well, I mean... I mean that was quite a long answer, No, wasn't it? I, I think that's a fair enough answer. And also, remember who the adjudicator of this quiz is, Mr Graham Taylor. I think he'd have something to say about Coleman. 
after he <laughs> robbed us of our World Cup 1994. Oh, God, yeah. Like, I wasn't even considering that. But, yeah, absolutely. His entire narrative arc is baddie. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, awful. Awful. So the good news is, Sam, you're not going to finish bottom of the table because the bottom of the table is two. You've got three questions right. And uh, two is bottom, Nathan Caton with Brentford. I've apologised, everyone. I've apologised. I don't know where that quiz came from. I'm sorry. It's hard to find Brentford FC quizzes. Um, So uh, this is a bit trickier, this one, but you might get it. So this is uh, question four. In the Premier League 18-19 season, what position did Everton finish in the 2018-2019 Premier League? Did we... So there's options here. Did you finish second, fourth, sixth <laughs> or eighth? Oh, eighth. <laughs> I'm astonished we finished that. We did. Uh, we finished that highly. Do I like that? And that is correct. You're now on to question five. Um, which, okay, which of these strikers scored the most goals for Everton in the 2018-2019 Premier League season. There's a bit of a theme, according to this quiz. 2018-2019. <laughs> so who scored the most amount of goals? Was it Dominic Calvert-Lewin? Was it uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson? Oh, legend. One of my favourite players of all time. Or Theo Walcott? In 18-19? Hmm. See, that's tricky because that was... Sigurdsson had a quiet season last season, but I yeah. think the season before was his good season. It won't have been Walcott. I think it was too early for Calvert Lewin. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Gilfie Sigurdsson. Gilfie Sigurdsson? He's going in. Do I like that? It's correct. And, and bear in mind at this point, you're taking the adult BBC quiz, not the CBBC lark. <laughs> so, you know. Um, so, Question six. How old was Wayne Rooney when he scored his first goal for Everton in the Premier League? Was he 20, 18 or 16? He was 16. 16. Putting it in. Do I like that? Uh, Question seven. Which Everton player was shown the most yellow cards, can you guess, in the 2018-2019 season? Uh, uh, Was it uh, Kurt Zuma? Was it Andre Gomez? Or was it Bernard? Solely based on the position, based on the position he plays, because he's a central midfielder, I'm going to say Andre Gomez. Oh, here we go. Do I like that? It's correct. Yay! Guaranteed second place, (laughs) two questions to go to get joint first, and then we're going to have to have some sort of finale if you get to, you know, like a sudden death, each question, each. I'll have to sort something out for that. Uh, let's um, not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> are you saying that for the quiz or are you saying that about Everton? Which one? Both, constantly. <laughs> Everton and my performance in life. Um, okay, now I, I, I knew this was going to be... I was going to use this as one of my um, uh, facts, actually, but I really struggled pronouncing it, so you might have to help me with this. What yeah. does the club's motto... Oh God! Oh, I'll have to. Nil satis. Nil satis nisi optimum. Mm-hmm. Stand for. Uh, nothing but the best will do. Well, you got. You got I'll give you three <laughs> options, which is you close. I'm there. sorry. <laughs> no, nothing but the best is good enough. Play your best game, or we are the greatest. Uh, nothing but the best is good enough. And that is. Do I like that? Hey, you're on to question. Oh, question nine. 
question i'm not getting nervous uh <laughs> what was the original name of the club was it uh st domin uh st domingo fc was it everton church club or merseyside rovers it was um st domingo's fc saint the, ch- the church is still there saint domingo's fc i like everton church club that sounds uh that sounds pretty <laughs> groovy sounds like something your parents would send you on sunday afternoon <laughs> That's correct. And we're on to question 10. Okay, here we go. So, question 10. Everton were one of the founding clubs of the Football League, but when were they first founded? Was it 1868? Was it 1878 or 1888? 1878. It is correct. Correct. Sam White, you are now joint first position in the league of comedians talking about footballs, 10-question Southern Death Quiz Challenge. Congratulations. Yay. Top of the league with Leicester. <laughs> Outstanding. Now, it's bad news for me, actually, this, Sam, because normally when someone gets three out of ten and they go, oh, I didn't know what that meant, uh, I go, oh, don't worry, because you don't go away empty-handed. But I can't say that now, because now I'm once again I have to think of some sort of winner's quiz. But what I would usually say at this point is um, that you wouldn't have gone away empty-handed. Uh, and to thank you for coming on the podcast, I will send this over to you. It is one of my favourite shirts of all time, mainly down to the iconic sponsor. It is a uh, Everton shirt with that Yay! classic Chang beer. And if you have it already, I do apologise, but you can never have too many Chang beer shirts. I know, um, those are really comfortable. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Where can we find your work at the moment? Uh, you're probably best looking for me on Twitter at the moment, which is at Sam White, uh, Sam W-H-Y-T-E, please. Yeah, and look so out for this podcast that I think is going to happen with me and Kelly Wells. Yes, let me know when that's when that's live. I'd love to listen to it and I'll make sure that we, we send it out to our followers and everything as well. So you guys have all got to make sure you listen to that because that'd be, that'd be great. I reckon it'd make a really good listen. Um, so and, and do, as I said, follow Sam on there. That's Sam White, W-H-Y-T-E. Uh, until then, uh, best of luck for the rest of the season, mate. As a neutral watching the Premier League, I'm very excited about teams like Everton. You too, mate. I'll, uh, keep, I'll keep my eye out for Reading's fortunes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fortunes. Fortunes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, brilliant. All right, thanks very much, Sam. Really appreciate it, mate. Oh, cheers, mate. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Sam White for coming on Comedians Talking About Football. What a lovely lass. Such a pleasure having her on. Um, and don't forget to follow her on Twitter, if you aren't already, at Sam White. That's White spelt W-H-Y-T-E. And find her on her uh, blog site as well, which is samanthawhite.wordpress.com. If you enjoyed the episode, do you know what? I really appreciate you listening. But uh, if you give it a share, I'd love you. And uh, if you could, uh, you know, subscribe or leave us a review, I'd probably marry you. Not going to lie. Not going to lie. Either way, thank you for listening. And uh, next episode is Paul Cooper, a.k.a. Martin Mucklow, from this country. And he's talking about Fulham. Until then, thanks again, Sam, for coming on. And I'll speak to you guys soon. If you want to follow us 
on social media. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram with the same handle at ComTalkFootyPod. You can find us on Facebook. Just search Comedians Talking About Football. You can do the same for our YouTube account, which has got loads of extra content on there, if that's your sort of thing. Till then, take care, guys. Football. At the end of the day. Football. It's a funny old game. Comedians talking about football. Comedians talking about football. Comedians talking about football. Sports Social Podcast Network.